0: You're listening to Jazz's Backstage Pass, your inside scoop on the world's greatest jazz musicians. My guest today is Emmett Cohen, a young pianist with a broad vision of jazz. He's committed to what he calls the intergenerational transfer of artistic knowledge, history, and traditions. And to that end, he's embarked on a recording project he's dubbed the Master's Legacy Series, a celebratory set of recordings and interviews honoring legendary jazz musicians. He serves as both producer and pianist for each album in the series. The goal of the project, he says, is to provide musicians of multiple generations a forum to transfer the unwritten folklore that is America's unique musical idiom. Volume 1 of the Master's Legacy series features drummer Jimmy Cobb, and Volume 2 spotlights bassist Ron Carter. Future Master's Legacy series releases will include Cohen's recordings with Benny Golson, Tootie Heath, and George Coleman. Jazzes spoke to Emmett Cohen backstage before a performance at Upstairs in Montreal during the Montreal International Jazz Fest. Your Master's Legacy series finds you playing with jazz icons of a previous generation, musicians in their 80s and 90s even. Uh, That's not something that's done very much anymore. Was bridging the gap between past and present of special concern to you? Um,
1: it was a specific concern in my mind. And I think that um, I think that the, the issue is larger than just in jazz or just in music. I think that that it extends to our country. Um, and, you know, you go to the United States and, and you see people disrespecting their elders and you see people um, like you don't in Japan, somewhere like Japan or, or China or somewhere where they were they, like really respect age and experience and. Um, you know, especially what's happening in the country now and the government and all that stuff, you know, a lot of it boils down to, to lack of respect for, for people who, you know, who came before you and what they did. It's, you know, you, everyone throws that out the window and, um, and I, I think, you know, this, this project was just a, just a little small focus group, um, on, on jazz musicians that to see you know, what happens to the youth if, if they really, you know, come up under the elders and learn from their mistakes and learn from their experiences. Um, I'd say some of the first experiences I've had with jazz masters, uh, or with, um, or with Jimmy Heath. So I, I went to the, uh, Kennedy Center with the Dizzy Gillespie uh, alumni All Star Band, and which John Lee, bass player, runs, and it was Louis Nash on drums, and great band. And and sitting in the first tenor chair was Jimmy Heath, and you know he's almost 90 years. He was almost 90 years old then, um, and I got to ride the bus up and sit near him and hear him tell stories and tell you know hear hear him about how he uh, lent his horn to Charlie Parker and Bird came sat in with his big band and Coltrane would come over to his house all the time and they'd have Coleman Hawkins over for dinner and... Uh, you know, he, his brother was in the uh, Tuskegee Airmen, and he finished that. Learned to play the bass. Got the gig with with Modern Jazz Quartet. Traveled the world with with them, and made lots of money. And uh, Miles loved it, loved the whole family, and his baby brother Tootie, um, also, you know, played with everybody who we've, we've been working with Tootie as well. And you know, just being inspired by by you know the true rich jazz legacy just right in front of my face. You know, hearing that, I said, you know, I, I, I have. Haven't gotten that passion from reading a book I haven't gotten that that same passion from watching a documentary or from going to going to even see these guys live I think that you know that, that really sparked something in me that that experience and I said wow this is really important you know even if I don't fully understand it at this moment or at that moment when I was you know 22 23 years old um you know Whatever, whatever I accumulate, whatever information and experiences I accumulate, will, will manifest themselves in time when, where, you know, during my growth, and and. So I wanted to create this, this project, not only for myself, but, uh, for, for, you know, as many young musicians as possible to give them a chance to just interact and sit in and, and get a chance to, to talk with and be up close to someone like Benny Golson or someone like Ron Carter. Um, you know, and these guys that that I've met, they're all really, really receptive to it and they want to, they want to pass it on. they want to share, share what they have to share and they, you know, they receive joy um, by knowing that that there are young musicians that that aren't taking the route of inf- infusing jazz with hip hop or or mainstream culture and and really want to um, you know check out with what what really um, transpired
0: and 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 why. And you think that could be because that's how it was done in their day as well. You know, you'd have the young cats sitting with the older guys on the bandstand, and that's how you learned. And you know back then there were guys that could pass it on you feel like there was a generation that didn't get to do that and these guys are really excited to do that um, well, I think that's always a part of life
1: you know you look up to your parents you look up to your grandparents and you, you learn from them the, the, the closer you are to, to them the better you know where you came from and kind of the further in, in the future you're able to push yourself um, you know life is a lot you know is, the biggest question is the one of time and and I think uh, you know in, in, in the art world time, is, time periods are really important and I think that all you know all those musicians were young once and you know benny golson uh, talks about cutting his teeth you know right up next to to uh, to john coltrane and you know play, you know playing alongside of these guys and and you know either getting their ass kicked or, or or you know succeeding and playing really well and and getting an opportunity here and there that led to something else and i think they're all very you know empathetic towards something uh something of that of that sort for sure. We need an AC break? Yeah, Let's do it. I had said something else to say too, but I'm just sweating so bad.
0: Yeah, I know, man. I almost want to just take we'll the shirt it. off, man. I'm you can, at, man, not at all.
1: The so I'm kind of changing That's my thing. I was at a pool party all day. Russell has some family in Montreal.
0: Oh, does he? Nice, family. man. But, yeah. And so is that where you're staying? Or do they put you uh, no, no,
1: they were oh. staying
0: in the hotel. Which one? Uh, no hotel. It's, oh, okay. it's, it's all Right up close to here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I'm next door. Okay. Oh, uh, really? Yeah.
1: Yeah, Benny, Benny's there and Houston was there. Oh, okay. You asked me something. I wanted to add one thing to it.
0: The gist of the question was, you know, you had a generation come up oh, yeah. on right, this, okay. yeah.
1: And another thing is, I think that, um, in our time right now, in 2018, we we missed the boat on some of the last great band leaders um, who fostered different. You know, different young rhythm sections of different young bands every uh, few years, you know, people like Betty Carter, Ray Brown, um, Freddie Hubbard, Art Blakey, you know, Miles even. And, uh, you know, we we miss that time period and it's harder to achieve that, especially with the old musicians um, now who are in their 70s and 80s um, who maybe maybe aren't as determined to stay out on the road and 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 travel like Art Blakey was up until the end of his life with a young band. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to, to be in Christian McBride's band and have tra- have traveled with people like Kurt Elling and Brian Lynch and Erlin Riley and Allie Jackson, and you know, have mentors. But uh, you know, I I, I I wasn't around anyone in their 70s or 80s or even 90s, uh, so that's that was another inspiration.
0: That track is Interlude from Emmett Cohen's first Master's Legacy series album with drummer Jimmy Cobb. Emmett, why did you decide to start the series with Mr. Cobb?
1: Jimmy Cobb is always someone that I was listening to growing up and just marveling at the cymbal beat and just the, the power and the and the drive that he has in his ride cymbal, um, playing with Wynton Kelly, Joe Henderson, All at Miles, all those records. Um, and I've, I've, I'd seen him around on a couple of occasions and I got together with him at the new school of all places. I had a friend that was taking lessons with him. You know, when you're at the new school, you can study with anyone in New York. So he would come down, take the train to new school and do the lesson. There was a bass player who was taking the lesson so he invited me to come play some piano well mr cobb played some drums and bass and so we got to know each other there and he seemed friendly and i said man it would be amazing to you know to get to play with him a little bit more you know maybe if i put together a recording project um you know he might be more willing to to do some some gigs after and i got a, a an offer from this uh, Uh, record producer named Corey Weeds in Vancouver and he said you know I want you to make a record with me this year blah 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 so we, uh, and so I, I wasn't ready to make my full trio statement, and and so I put this thing together with uh, with Jimmy Cobb. I asked him if he would come and do it, and I organized kind of a live concert. So we did it, you know, live to kind of usurp some of the costs and all that. And uh, he came and he did a great job. And we played some stuff he's played in the past. Um, we played, I wrote some stuff for him and i uh, had a saxophone player named godwin louis a great friend of mine and amazing saxophone player come play a few a few tunes to kind of maybe hearken back to the, his feeling of playing with cannonball or uh something like that um and he he seemed to have a great time he loved it we went over to his apartment and you know, he lives up in harlem was, we're basically neighbors and you know had a little rehearsal and he chimed in a few things but mostly just was agreeable and and came and did it and was super professional and we just maintained the relationship uh since then and I have some opportunities and he was willing to do some gigs cuz he found you know that we were serious um and so you know ever since then uh you know we catch up and I call him and and you know try to take care of him as much as possible um, when I'm, when I'm around him, you know, and treat him like a King that he is. And, you know, he, he'll be eight, he'll be 90 in January, um, which is just incredible. And he's just powering on just shows you that what, what you have in the music, um, you know, that strength and the, and power and, and drive, you know, that, that it really relates to, um, who you are as a person in, in your everyday life. And that's, that's just who he is just straight ahead down the middle, you know, serious, strong, and commanding you know
0: that must have been a trip to have jimmy cobb play your original tunes man to come first full circle like that and have your idol do that
1: yeah it was it was it was it was amazing and you know he was so cool about it and i think it's 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 somewhat easier to have you know someone who plays drums figure out you know original music but i wrote some stuff for him so uh you know, I, I I kept it in his wheelhouse and in his bag, and some stuff that he, that I thought he would bring to the next level, and uh, and he he really did a
0: great job with it. And what did you learn from playing with Jimmy Cobb?
1: Well, just his presence alone, I think uplifts everyone. You know, when you have a jazz master on stage, the focus is automatically heightened. Um there's no there's no there's no room for for getting distracted. There's no room for, you know, breaking that focus and and and, and wandering off somewhere else. It's like you're you're playing with, with this person played with Sarah Vaughn, Bailey Holiday, Charlie Parker, Earl Bostick, um, you know, Miles, Train, Cannonball, Wes Montgomery, everybody. And you know, to, to to understand that when you're on the bandstand, but to not really be thinking about it too much, but just, but just to have the understanding that, you know, this this guy has all of those people within him you know that's the connection that that i think made it so special and then when when you're playing with someone like that who has been around i don't been around all that you know i think he was born in 1929 you know born in 1929 dc um you know knowing all that stuff about him just you know bringing a certain respect and a certain a certain level of reverence for what he does and then letting the rest be natural and i think you know he just made me he makes you feel so comfortable when he's play, when when he's playing those drums and you know i was just able to really relax and just you know get get into the groove with him and he was very inviting
0: Your second installment of the series featured bassist Ron Carter. We just heard the track Joshua from Master's Legacy series volume two. What was it like working with Ron Carter?
1: Ron Carter is one of the most magical musicians um, in any genre, I think, who's come from America and lived in the 20th century into the 21st. He 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 brings something totally different from anyone else I've ever worked with. He his mind is so sharp and so um, so quirky too and so unique to himself um, that's another thing that this Master's Legacy um, excursion has taught me that that individualism is like the key uh, point, the key focus of, of being a jazz musician, being an individual within a larger community and all these guys have such unique personalities that come from such different places. They come from such, um, you know, different backgrounds. A lot of times hard backgrounds and have evolved, um, into, into this person that's just solely themselves. And Ron Carter is a mixture of of the most serious, People I've ever come across. I saw him. I invited him to to do a, a clinic for this organization, Young Arts, which I teach at. He came down to Miami, um, and he he did a four hour master class with no breaks, and he had these guys more focused than they've ever been in their entire lives. You know, just focusing on each quarter note of, of a blues, just keeping your mind in it, trying to get it to to feel good. Um, you know, just such a focus on the basics <laughs> and the foundation of what it is to be a, to be a jazz musician and and by the time it w- they were done these kids were first of all on a new level and second of all just mentally exhausted and you know i i, I see how, how mentally superior he is to everyone around him he is, just has some some serious strength um, that Maybe he's, he's, he's dug deep, you know, to get out of his, his Detroit upbringing with, you know, six, seven, eight children and during, during the great depression, um, i think that um, that you know he takes his his life and his um approach to life and music which are the one and the same very very seriously so seriousness is, is the first thing i've learned from ron carter um you know quirkiness is the second he's just he, he's 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 a jokester you know he has his own little little uh, uh ways of communicating on and off the bandstand and the music and he's always throwing a little joke and did you hear that did you hear that and he you know and thirdly is his goal is to make everybody play differently than one they expected and two than they've played before on any other night. So that's what he was trying to do with Miles Davis. He's trying to get everyone in the band to play something different than the previous night or the previous week or the previous year or the previous decade of their, of their musical career. And I understood that when we, when we first uh, started our rehearsal and when we played the, you know, played our first uh, gig, which was actually the recording session live in Vancouver, um, at the international jazz festival one year ago from when we were recording this um and yeah he he came, he came with with you know with with an even more stoic and just you know godlike energy than anyone I'd worked with before um, and not knowing him, you know, I didn't know if he, what he was thinking and didn't know how he was feeling and how he was, you know, responding and receiving. So I just, you know, put on my, my best, uh, professional face and, um, you know, my most serious vibe and we just got to work. And I think he sensed that. I, and this drummer, Evan Sherman was on the, on the date with me who he had actually hired for playing his big band a few times, um, a few years before. And uh, so I think he enjoyed the young, the young energy around him, but the young, serious energy. And we worked for a long time on what we were going to Play and what, how we were going to play it, and how we were going to deliver it, and how it would feature him on the concert. And uh, I think he understood that we put a lot of time and effort and energy into figuring out the musical side of things. And he really uh, responded positively uh, to it. And and we played this concert, and I feel you know we, we really connected on a deep musical level. And that record that that concert became the record. And uh, you know we, we we put that out, and it, you know received some some really great uh press and some really great uh uh just got some really great responses um, from even people that don't you know he wouldn't ordinarily think you know even his his manager and his wife and you know people who who just really know him and thought that he shined on it um, which meant a lot to me that you know that we could create something and I think it started a, a real relationship between us and you know he, he invited me over to his house for Christmas and uh, you know he has a little open house and, and you know has welcomed me into his life in a way and and for for that to happen is the ultimate education and the ultimate, um, you know, validation that this is I'm indeed in the right field doing the right thing. Um, but there's nobody like Ron Carter and and you know there's a reason that he's the most recorded bass player in the history of music and you know there's stories about him sitting in the in the booth on all those CTI sessions and everyone's looking at the music and trying to figure out what they're going to play and do and he's reading the New York Times you know in the booth and it's time to record he puts the times down he sees sight reads the piece down one one time perfectly and, and that's it and I think that really sums up Ron Carter you know he also has a great classical music sensibility um, which adds a whole nother dimension to uh to to his playing and his uh philosophy about music you know you uh, go into his house and he'll play you uh the most amazing recording of him playing the brandenburg suites with a string quartet laying down a bass line underneath totally being ron carter you know not trying to conform to any um any preconceived notions about what Bach should be or feel like or sound like he's just being Ron Carter within the situation and that's what he does best and that's what he teaches you you know be yourself you know it's okay you know there's always gonna be a hater out there there's always gonna be people who don't appreciate it there's always gonna be um You know, people who want you to do something else, but, you know, you you only get one life and you have to stay true to yourself. And that's what I've learned from Ron Carter.
0: So you mentioned you're here with Houston person on the one hand, Benny Golson on the other. And like you said, two kind of very different styles. First question, how do you kind of define those styles? And number two, how do you navigate between them as a piano player?
1: Well, Houston, we've been calling him heartbreak tenor. You know, he's just he every last feeling and, and, and emotion and just soulful, slick, bluesy, greasy South Carolina, you know, deep South tenor saxophone just goes into every single note. And, you know, he's doing a lot less thinking about what he's playing, a lot less feeling what he's playing. You know, he's played with so many gr- the greatest singers and greatest blues musicians and everything, worked the Chitlin circuit and you know he's 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 comprised of a of a certain set of experiences that that make him who he is and that, that 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 feeling of just playing from the heart and the soul um you know really inspired us to do the same and so we just played And we just played, you know, we didn't think about, we didn't have to think about, are we doing anything right? Are we doing anything wrong? You know, is this the right kind of vibe? You know, three notes from him and it's like, boom, everyone's together. And... It was amazing to to you know I've seen him so many times but this is the first time this is the last four gigs five gigs we did with him that that we that we played together and having my band behind him too we can kind of like put our concept focus it into into what would make him lay you know really nice on top of it and. I think he had a great time. He has such an amazing sound on the instrument too, like such a strong, big tennis saxophone sound uh, that when, when we played together, um, he just laid that sound under us. We had an enormous dynamic range and we would play very, very loud with him and we would also play very, very soft and somber. And the way he constructs his set, he's a master of programming music so he'll do a certain energy of a song maybe you know it's very strong and follow it up with something you know very slow and and romantic and then play something you know a little bit with a little latin flair and he's really good at mixing up mixing up the emotion and the feeling and the, and and, the, and the, you know that musical content really great um a programmer he's he's about playing for the people mm-hmm. you know he's always so who are we playing for and how are we going to get them involved how are we going to connect them with us and each other and that's it that's his that's his mo and you know learning learning from someone like that you really learn how to connect with an audience and you really are able to get into the into the vibe and you know that's another learning experience we've had. You know, contra- con- contrasts a little bit with with Golson, who's more of a um, an intellectual um, composer and speaker. Um, you know, part of his his connection with the audience is speaking. So he'll tell us a story for maybe fifteen minutes. You know, that's got a little sadness in it, a, lot of, a little humor, um, a lot of historical information and context, and he'll he'll put together some you know just incredible stories. That have people hanging on the edge of their seat, and the punchline comes, everyone cracks up, and then he goes into a song that relates, you know, directly to the story he told, and you know he's a master at putting together uh, stories and music and communicating with with an audience, and, and you know also what I've learned from these guys are songs are very short, you know when you go down to, to a jam session songs are so long you know you can go down to smalls any night of the week and a song one song might be 45 minutes of everyone taking a solo you know if you go hear someone's band a song may be 15 minutes and um i found that you know a lot of the jazz masters they they keep their short songs short and sweet they get to the point and they bring it on home and they get to the, get on to the next and that's that's a brilliant lesson from Benny Golson he he plays um, you know he plays only what's necessary there's never more and maybe there's something about the conservation of energy you know as you get into your ninth decade you know he's almost 92 just incredible um, but another thing I realize is is that his sound and his 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 saxophone um, legacy harkens back to that of Don Bias and Coleman Hawkins and Ben Webster and you know Johnny Griffin and you know you hear all these all these influences and in sound, but it sounds like Benny Golson. And, you know, that really affirms my belief that, you know, you should check out all the, all the people who came before you and let them enter your sound and let them enter your heart and your brain. And, you know, don't be afraid that you're going to sound like any one person, because if you're really true to yourself, you're going to sound like yourself, no
0: matter who your influences are. Uh, Benny Golson is one of the greatest of all time But that. Very well said, man. Last question is what is next in the master's legacy series? Who do you have your sights set on? What can listeners, followers expect? Well, we've we've
1: we've done a couple of se- sessions. Excuse me, we've done a couple of sessions uh, with various uh, musicians. I did something with Benny Golson and Tootie Heath on drums, um, which we're working on, which is going to come out uh, some point in the next you know coming months or a y- uh, year or so. I've done something with George Coleman um, that's in the can. That's also I feel really, really good about. And so those two are, are kind of looming in the, in the can. I also have a trio record that I may want to put out first and take a, take a brief hiatus from the Masters Legacy series and really feature my band that I've been working with for the last six, seven years that I haven't recorded in, in a trio format. So I think that may be coming next, and then you can expect to hear from Mr. Golson and uh, Mr. George Coleman after that. And I have my sights set on doing something with Houston Person. And, you know, there's so many uh, legends that I'd love to, to learn from.
0: Thanks for listening to Jazz's Backstage Pass. We hope you enjoyed this interview with Emmett Cohen. For even more conversations with your favorite musicians, plus lots of other indispensable jazz news, subscribe to our magazine or visit our website at www.jazzes.com.